This is Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So we are five weeks into our Ten Commandments series, and we've made it to the third commandment this morning. Something I haven't talked about is the way that the Ten Commandments are sometimes talked about the two tables of the Ten Commandments, and the first table is either commandments one through five. It is the the table of our responsibilities towards God, love what love toward God looks like on the first table of the Ten Commandments. Have no other gods. Do not make and grave an image. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Honor thy father and mother. We'll talk about that, with how that could be towards God. But the second table is then towards your neighbor. Love toward God being the first table, the first four or five Love towards your neighbor being uh, commandments either 5 through 10 or 6 through 10. So we're halfway through, basically, the first table of the law we're going to be this morning. Covering this, what does it look like to have love towards God? You've often heard, I mean, it's a catchphrase in church culture today, that what does God desire of us? Love God, love people, right? I think it's on our newsletter sometimes or something. Love God, love people. What you don't maybe realize... That's talking about the Ten Commandments. When Jesus says, what is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. He's summarizing the Ten Commandments. What it means to love God. Have no other gods. Don't make a graven image. Do not take his name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. And then what love towards neighbor looks like in the second table. So we're halfway through this first table, but I, I, I every week have to remind us, why are we doing this? So we're showing up, what kind of a church are we turning into that now the guy is up front is just going to start talking about rules, 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 rules. We're going to become this crushing church that's just going to tie up more burdens for you to walk out of the door with and to be crushed by just all these rules. Darren's becoming a fun hater who is just about all the things you got to make sure that you are doing. That is not my goal. The Ten Commandments are for your good. The Ten Commandments are for our good. The Ten Commandments don't come to us as citizens in some sort of vacuum. Uh, people existing in a world with no creator and no purpose. To the contrary, the Ten Commandments come to us as created beings with a creator who has a design and has a purpose for all things. And so then knowing that we owe our very existence to Jesus Christ, the one whom Colossians 1.16 says created everything, we concede that he maybe knows what's best. 
If we are created beings and he's the creator who has designed this whole thing, given it a purpose, we concede maybe the guy who made it all and is in charge of it all knows what is best, knows what is good, and knows what is right for us. So we are studying the Ten Commandments because they are for our good. Also, we are studying the Ten Commandments because of our love for the gospel. I think the first week I said, out of love for you, meaning they are good, I want you to know them because they are good. But secondly is, and equally, is, is love for the gospel. We want to study the Ten Commandments because of our love for the gospel. The reality of what happens when we study the Ten Commandments, it's like meeting the end of a ten-foot two-by-four swinging at your face. The Ten Commandments, that's a lot of force. That's a lot of clubhead speed. Yeah, ten, it's like, that's what happens when we read the Ten Commandments. It is a smack in the face. The, the Ten Commandments are one of the uses of them is as a mirror to show us our own sinfulness. And so we go through the Ten Commandments, and when we dig deep into them, we realize, oh boy, I'm in trouble. If this is the standard God has set, I'm way down here, and I've got problems. Well, how is that love for the gospel, Darren? You can tell us we, we're not meeting the standard. Because it's when we really see we're down, God's standard is here, and we have failed. We are beyond hope. We cannot climb hard enough to get back up here. That's when the gospel comes in and the good news of who Jesus Christ is, what forgiveness really means, that the gospel becomes something powerful in our lives when we realize from this position of being crushed by the law of God then it truly becomes good news like no other good news that a holy and righteous God could not look at me and give me the justice I deserve but forgive me reconcile me and adopt me as his own dear child that's what we're trying to get to in doing the Ten Commandments. That like Luke 19.10 says, Jesus came into the world to seek and to save the lost. Well, if we don't know how lost we are, it's not good news to know that he came into the world to seek and to save the lost. We look at the Ten Commandments so that we see clearly how lost we really are. And like Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus came into the world to save Sinners. Sinners. If you're not a sinner, Jesus didn't come for you. I can say that in full. If you're not a sinner, Jesus did not come to the earth for you. But, uh, wait a second. Good news, people. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Jesus came to the world to save sinners. So we're into our third commandment. Do not take the Lord your God. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? One way of saying the third commandment is to kind of is to say you shall not lift up the name because it's kind of funny language, right? It says do not take it doesn't say speak, but do not take the name of the Lord in vain. It's it's got a funny way that it's saying it. And so it, what it's really talking about there is you shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God for nothingness. To take God's name as though it doesn't mean anything. To break the third commandment is to dishonor God's name in any way and to therefore to denigrate or to diminish or make little of his holiness. It's a way of saying when you break the third commandment, it is a way of saying that God himself is worthless. Every Sunday morning, I kept this in when I I got brought on a year ago as pastor, we kept this in our liturgy in the morning. 
Michelle this morning prayed, opened us up in prayer, and then she said, now pray with me. The words are, our Lord taught us, our Father who art in heaven. And what's next? Hallowed be thy name. That is Jesus positively stating the third commandment. Hallowed be your name. So the third commandment, do not take God's name in vain, positively means that we would hallow, we would revere, we would honor, we would respect, we would lift highly the name of our Lord. That Jesus' name means something. That God would be hallowed, honored, and held in high esteem. That is the positive aspect of the third commandment. Do not take God's name in vain. Honor His name. I joked the first two commandments, right? We said, don't have any other gods and don't have any graven images. And so I said, everyone here this morning, the first commandment, you're here because you love God. Nice work, job done, you can leave, right? And it was kind of ha-ha. And then the second one, no one but Collis brought a graven image with them. For some reason, Collis claimed that he had a graven image in his pocket. But, and so we said, well, good job. No one has any graven images. Go home. With the third commandment, I, I wish I could joke about this one. But really, this, there is... Uh, when you go down the whole line of the Ten Commandments, on a surface level, you most of the time can say, oh, I keep those. I haven't murdered anybody. I'm not out actively committing adultery. I don't steal very much. I, I, I don't lie all that. I don't bear false witness. God's my God. I don't make any idols. We can kind of skim over them at a surface level and say, oh, I keep most of those. But in our culture today, the third commandment, you can't even skim over this one anymore. You can't even skim over the idea of not taking God's name. I'm scared and saddened to say that this is one that in our modern church and certainly in our culture today, we don't even come close to keeping a surface level amount of obedience to God's standard. On a very just surface level, the third commandment forbids any use of God's name or his attributes such as holy in a way that is not in reference to him or in reverence for him. Reference to him like I'm free to talk about God to you. Or, or in reverence to him, I'm free in, a, in prayer, it's obedience to pray to God and to mention his name reverentially. But any use that is not in reference to him or revering him is breaking of the third commandment. So if you're at a ball field, uh, which we're, you know, and someone hits a foul ball out into the field, and you're there talking to somebody, and you look up and it's coming through the crowd, and you say, you say Jesus Christ, and you're not praying help me Jesus Christ, help me God, or you're not talking to the person with you about, oh, here comes a ball, do you know Jesus Christ, or have you, do you know who God is? If you use that in any way that is not in reference to God or Jesus or revering him, you're breaking the third commandment. How common is that today, honestly? You can't watch a kid's show, a movie anymore, without having something like this come up. The Trolls movie. I love it. I think it's great. I, 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 Justin Timberlake soundtrack, I think it's wonderful. But there, the opening scenes, one of the trolls does OMG. You know what OMG stands for? It's, it's a prayer. Oh, my God. You would be praying, oh, my God. As a prayer is a fine prayer. Oh, God, help me. Oh, my God, my Savior, my Lord. But as an exclamation, without referencing God or in reverence to Him, breaking the third commandment. At a surface level, our culture, even our modern churches today, you might go to a church supper somewhere and hear people using God's name in a way that is not in reference to Him or in reverence to Him. 
it is sin. It is breaking the third commandment. Let me state it plainly. To use God's name in such a way as a throwaway phrase is to treat God himself as if he is a throwaway reality. It's a throwaway reality. Try swearing using somebody else's name and see if they think it's insulting or not. You know, we we kind of say that. Oh, I pulled a whoever. You're out golfing and you shank it off. Oh, I... I pulled, a, I pulled a Cecil there. I shanked it off to the side. He's not flattered by that, is he? <laughs> it's not a compliment to use someone's name in a derogatory way. Or if you start exclaiming, pick anyone's name and say, when something bad happens, you say, oh, Lisa. That's not a compliment, is it? And that's what happens. To, we are dishonoring the person when we use the name in that way. To dishonor God, as the commandment itself tells us, Those who do so will not be held guiltless. Surface level, basic level. If you use God's name like this, you need to this morning repent for using God's name in such a way and holding him in such low esteem and stop using his name in this way. And parents, if you have kids, enforce this upon your children to esteem, to honor, to hold highly to God's name. I know that's basic level, but you got to say it anymore. You got to say it in churches even. You gotta say we revere God's name. This is the third commandment 101. Can we go deeper? Yes, and we will. Absolutely, we can go deeper. But I could argue this is the maybe the most frequently disobeyed of the commandments. Gotta pause here. Why would God care? And I kind of covered it in using someone's name as a curse word, but why would God care about his name being used in a frivolous manner? If he's God, why does he really even care? Doesn't it seem a little out of line? Our culture thinks it does. But I was thinking about it with, uh, with Joel and my kid. We went out on a walk earlier in the spring, and Joel was just figuring out how to ride his bike. We were going down Shellway Drive. You all know that's the one that curves off kind of funny. Down, I live on Dunning, and Shellway goes off. We walked this little loop. Joel had taken off on his bike, and we were pushing Jana in the stroller, and he'd gotten ahead of us and kind of weaves out in the road a little bit sometimes. He was just kind of figuring out, and we were telling him, stop, don't go any farther, wait till he get to us. And guess what he was doing? He was selective listening. He could not hear us. He kept right on going. But he was going away down the road. Well, after enough warnings of him not respecting me, and that's what it really was, not respecting the call of his father to stop, turn around, come back, I jogged down, I grabbed him, threw him over my shoulder, grabbed the bike, marched through a bunch of yards back to our house, put the bike into the garage and put him in his room because he was not respecting his father. Now, do any of you say, well, that guy's real full of himself. Why is this kid got to respect him? But the, the, you, hopefully you see the idea behind I'm desperate for him to respect the call of his parents is for his own good. He needs to learn to say, when we say stop, it's because there's a car coming or something like that. He needs to respect. I hope that you don't think, well, Darren's just this big-headed whatever trying to get his kid to respect him. I hope you can see that I want Joel to take me and what I say seriously. Revere it, honor it, because I am put in a place for his good. And in the same way, on a much higher level, God desires respect for his name because to dishonor him, to not take him seriously, is to secure our own peril. It's what Jesus means in Matthew 10, 28, when he says, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. To treat God in a trivial manner 
is to try to juggle an open can of gasoline and a torch at the same time. It is not going to end well. We are to revere the name of God. This happens in 1 Samuel. You can look up a story there. It's back from Exodus. If you still have your Bible out, 1 Samuel is this interesting story of uh, Samuel is the, is the judge. He's the last judge, the first kind of prophet for the kingdom of Israel. And he's just getting started out. He's just had his call as a boy. But he's now uh, operating as a judge, and they're out battling against the Philistines. This is 1 Samuel chapter 4. The word of, the, word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. There's this war, the Israelites, the Philistines. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. When the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come up, that it, the Ark of the Covenant, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. The Ark of the Covenant, where the Ten Commandments were stored, where Aaron's rod, the bud, it was stuck in this, this, this uh, covenant, this Ark of the Covenant, where it kept these precious things, where God's presence dwelled, had the cherubims. You can read an interesting commentary on it in, in the rest of, of Scripture, find the descriptions of it. But here they are taking this thing that is standing in for God, and they're saying, bring that in among us, that it's going to help us. They are, in a very real sense, taking God's name in vain. They are saying, this is for God, this is God's move, this is God's will, we're going to bring this in, God's going to deliver us by this Ark of the Covenant, sorcery kind of thing, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Verse 4, so the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. How does this turn out when you take God's name in vain? As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. For they said, A God has come into the camp. Ark of the Covenant, a God? No. Uh, has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians. A falsehood here. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought. And what happens? They take the name, Lord's name in vain. Take him lightly. Do not revere him. Israel was defeated. And they fled every man to his home. And this ark goes on. It's a crazy story. They take it in. They put it up against Dagon. Dagon falls over. They set Dagon back up. And his head gets chopped off. Arms get chopped off. The men of the Philistines begin to grow tumors. Because they are using this ark of the covenant in a wrong way. They are taking God's name in vain. There's no good way for this to turn out. To not honor the name of God. So... Got to move quickly because so these are kind of high-minded, well, basic 101. What does it mean to take God's name in vain? Well, I want to try to get kind of ground level. What does it mean? So you're sitting here today, okay, Darren, don't take God's name in vain. I lost, so I can stop saying just with my speech, stop saying God, Jesus Christ in ways that aren't in reference to him or in reverence for him. Is that it? Do I have it nailed? No, there's a lot more we can dig in. 
Other ways we break the third commandment today are when we speak for God when he has not spoken. Many people loosely throw around a statement like, God told me, or God says, or God wants you to. And when to do that, some people, it's just poor teaching. That's just their vernacular. They don't know how to communicate something other than to say, well, God said, God told me I'm supposed to go here. God told me I'm supposed to do this. God told me I'm supposed to say this to you. Some TV preachers, if you watch TVN very much, I discourage you from doing so. But if you happen to be flipping through and you saw it, and you get a pastor on TV saying, the word of the Lord is, or God says to you, saying things like that, to speak for God when he has not said, when he has not said it, is to take his name for fam- in vain. TV preachers, God says he's doing X, Y, Z. He's going to do this for you as they broadcast it to millions of people. A a one-size-fits-all, God says to you, meaning the thousands and hundreds of thousands of you that are watching. It's not a word from God. They are, in a very real way, taking the names, the Lord's name, in vain. This is exactly how some self-proclaimed modern prophets act. You are not obligated to believe them. If someone comes up to you and says, claiming to have a personal word from the Lord for you, and they don't open up their Bibles and read this to you, I wouldn't give them them time of day. Having a personal word from the Lord, God has promised nowhere to speak to us in that way. God has specially revealed himself to us in the pages of this scripture. If they come up and they say, this is what God has said, I would say, can you give me chapter and verse on that? I would like to know where God has told me that in context, how that can be what God is going to do. It is totally okay to pull the God card and ask them chapter and verse of the Bible when they have heard that clear word from God. Can I say something unpopular here? So there's great danger in speaking for God in the first person. This is done many times in Christian books, and popularly there's a book flooding the Christian bookstores. It's called Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. And I, I probably some of you have it and I've read it. That book, what it does a lot is it, it, and most of it is devotionally based, speaking as though it is the first person word from God himself to you. That Jesus is speaking through Sarah Young, his very personal words to you. Hearing, she, it's interesting the way she says she goes about it, and I'm not saying she does it out of impure motives. I think her motives are likely good and fine. But when you begin to speak for God personally in that way that he has not spoken, and there's doctrinal reasons I could go into, I would warn you, when someone begins to talk like that, tread very carefully. There is a great chance that they are actually taking God's name in vain. It is fine to read scripture and apply it to your life. To take something like John 3.16 and say, for God so loved the world, and say to you, God loves you. God has, told, has said he loves you. It's fine to speak about God that way. Scripture clearly reveals that. But to say God wants you to do X, Y, Z is in danger of taking God's name in vain. Be careful of things like that. Secondly, blatant, and persist, blatant persistent, sinful living. Persistent, sinful living is taking God's name in vain. We don't think about this, but... The reason why that language is that way, not just don't speak God's name in vain, but don't take it in vain, is when you become a Christian, when you let it be known, I am a Christian, 
I, I go to church, I love Jesus, He is my Savior, and yet you walk out the door and behave in every manner that is not Christ-like, you are taking God's name in vain. You are taking God's name in vain. If you claim to be a Christian and yet walk out your public life as though God does not exist and has no authority over your life, you have taken the Lord's name in vain. You can even go down to the level of, uh, you know, they have those ichthys, those little fish you put in the back of your car. You ever get cut off in traffic by somebody that's got a, a fish on the back of their car? They've got a Jesus loves you sticker on it, and they need to put it underneath there, Jesus loves you, but I don't kind of thing. That, that's t- in, a, in a very real way, that's taking God. If they, they pull, they cut you off, and they, you know, have words for you when you, get, you know, struggling in traffic, that person is presenting themselves to be a Christian and yet is behaving in a way that is ungodly. They are breaking the third commandment. They're announcing themselves as, as a representative and then acting in a fashion that is in the direct opposite of how God would have them act. There are so many places that this plays out. In your job, do your coworkers know that you're a Christian? Do your coworkers know that you're a Christian? In, in your extended family events, do they know that you believe in Jesus? And then do you show up at work or show up with your family and behave in ways that do not honor God, that do not honor Christ? You are breaking the third commandment when you're doing this. So two down, I got six of these to go through quickly. Two down, how are we all doing? I'm in trouble already with these, just the two commandments. Uh, so going on, thirdly, over-exalting lesser goods. God is the supreme treasure. God is, is to be valued, worshipped, and enjoyed above all else. He is the one, the only one, who brings true peace, true joy, true comfort, and true satisfaction. And when we talk about lesser things as though they are what give us peace, joy, satisfaction, happiness, in a very real way, we are taking God's name in vain. When we say, I love Jesus, but let me tell you what, I really, this is what brings me joy, you're taking God's name in vain. Anybody know who Brian Adams is? Listen to Brian Adams' music. I, I love Brian Adams' music. was a big fan for a long time. But he has this song called Heaven, and it's a catchy song. I like it. Listen to it. But it always set kind of wrong with me. Here's the lyrics. Baby, you're all that I want when I'm lying here in my arms. I'm finding it hard to believe we're in heaven. Love is all that I need, and I found it there in your heart, singing to another person. It isn't too hard to see we're in heaven. And to do something, to sing something along those lines, and you honor God, but heaven is in this place. This is my heaven. This is my joy. This is where I'm happy, is to take God's name in vain. I love my wife, loved her for as long as I can remember loving anything. And there's a real period in my life when this was true for me. This is where my joy is. This is where I'm happiest. This is where I find my peace. This is where I'm, this is where I'm fulfilled. All of these things. And to say that in this area is where I find my peace and to claim that, that it isn't in God is to take his name in vain. This wrong-centered praise goes all the time, and I'm not sure we're even thinking about it. Let me get personal again. Uh, Monet hair care products, Young Living Essential Oils, um, let's see, Plexus, It Works, all sorts of products. And you'll see people get on Facebook and they'll say things like Monet, which is a hair care, maybe you aren't familiar with it, it's fine if you aren't, and it's fine if you are. I don't, I got nothing against, this is not an anti-Monet campaign, sorry, I don't mean to come across that way. But people on Facebook, uh, Monet has changed my life. A hair product has changed your life. 
either you're extremely shallow, which is a possibility, and I'm sorry if I'm fitting anyone, but you know what changes your life? Repentance and restoration in the gospel. You know what brings life to you? Repentance and trusting in your Savior. And when you take the life that is found, the satisfaction that is found, the joy that is found only in Christ and in Christ alone, and you say, Plexus made me skinnier, and therefore I am happier. This thing has made me happy. You're taking God's name in vain by attributing what is only deserving to Him and giving it to lesser things. We could go on. I won't. We've got to move. Four is ambivalent associations. This church right now is currently working on our membership roles. The elders of the church are working on this. How many people do we have that claim to be a part of this church that really have no interest in being a part of what God is doing here? What does it mean to say, I'm a member of some place, yet you have no desire to be involved in it? Honestly. In a very real way, when you do that, you are breaking the third commandment. You are saying, I am taking God's name, I am, I am taking this unto myself, though I have no real interest in it. This might step on some toes, I know it's going to get a little warm right now, but honestly, this is what we're doing. And, and when, when you uh, give occasion to others to break the, ten, the, the commandments, any of them, in the third commandment included, when you give them occasion to do this, you in, a, you in effect are guilty yourself of allowing people to persist in this idea that you can be a part of something that really have no interest in it. You are taking God's name in vain. You are taking God lightly. This is where you have to be careful to not give occasion. Two-thirds of the way through, you're nailing any of them yet. Verse, uh, number, not verse, the fifth one here, frivolent, absent-minded. Now we're going to get serious. No one's going to pass these last two, okay? Frivolent or absent-minded worship. Everything we do at our corporate gathering here is done in God's name. We are doing this in God's name. We're praying in Jesus' name. We're reading our scripture in, in, in honor of God. And anytime you allow your mind to run a thousand different directions, you're praying in God's name. Never happened to you? Uh, Michelle is up here praying. I prayed a long time. I pastoral prayer. I go on a long time. I know I do. And I'm praying in Jesus' name. We're doing something to honor God. And you're thinking, is that really how you say karma or karpa in China? I don't think that's probably right. Or you, your mind goes off some other direction. You know what you're doing there? Violating the third commandment. You're taking God's name in vain. When you're singing and uh, you think, boy, Darren's coming across pretty loud on that mic and he could use a tune-up. Your mind, when you're, we're supposed to be directing our thoughts towards God, honoring him, lifting him up, and your mind goes off to this other whatever realm, you're breaking the third commandment. Who isn't guilty of this? I can't count you the time just this morning that we're in the middle of the prayer and I'm off trying to talk to get Joel out of the nursery and whatever and not, not revering God's name as it deserves to be revered. This is tough, but honestly, how often does it happen? And lastly, sixth, uh, I couldn't go through them all, faithless prayers. Ever pray a prayer because you know it's the right thing to pray, but you don't really think God's ever going to do it. That is taking God's name in vain. When we're praying in Jesus' name, which we are always doing as Christians, whether we are saying in Jesus' name at the end of our prayer or not, when we pray in Jesus' name and do not really believe that God can do what we are asking, we are taking his name in vain. When you pray for a circumstance to change, when you pray for an unbeliever's heart to change, when you ask for mercies for someone, and you don't think there's any way God will do it, but pray it anyway, you are taking God's name in vain. Doubtful, faithless prayers are a violation of the third commandment. Six ways that I think if you're honest, you think, well, I've broken about all of those ways of breaking the third commandment. 
When we dig into these commandments, we find that truly no one can stand. We're crushed. We're three commandments in, folks. We've got seven more to do. And we are crushed. What then shall we do? We first must answer. What happens to those? Okay, so yeah, I've broken the, the third commandment. What happens? Right here in this text. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Our text for this morning tells us we will not be held guiltless. If you are a third commandment breaker this morning, you are guilty of violating God's holy law and therefore deserving of infinite justice as you have transgressed against an infinite one. No other way to read that. The question we must then ask, is there any way we cannot be held accountable but forgiven for our guilt? Not can God just wipe it away. Some, some faiths have this idea God just kind of wipes his justice under the rug. God doesn't do that. God remains just. How can God keep his justice and yet find a way for us to not be held accountable for this guilt? Not can God just wipe it away and forget about it, but no, not to, to do that would require God to abandon his justice. He cannot do that, but can anything else be done? Has anything else been done? And yes, I declare to you this morning, something else has been done. The gospel is the declaration that something has been done. God, in order to keep his justice and his mercy, sends his son who willingly lays down his life as a substitute for sinners. Jesus on the cross is bearing the wrath you all deserve, we all deserve for being third commandment breakers. Jesus comes to earth and he never takes God's name in vain. He holds God in high esteem. He fulfills the third commandment perfectly. He consistently and perfectly honors God and deserves, Jesus then deserves to be honored for doing so. He earns the title of righteous before God, yet his life is given up on a cross. He bears the wrath of the third commandment breakers that we deserve so that through repentance and faith, two sides of the same coin, sinners would be forgiven of their sin, reconciled to God, and adopted as his children, receiving the title of righteous before God, not through our own works and effort, but through the works of another. As the hymn writer says, guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he, full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a savior. And so, what do you do with the third commandment? What are you going to do with that this morning? Deny it? Eh, no, I think that's that guy's, I don't know. I hope not. I hope you won't denigrate God's word. What are you going to do with the third commandment? Try to go out and get to work fulfilling it? All right, I'm going to get to work now. Good luck. Good luck. It's not going to go well for you. Do this. Sinner, confess. Sinner, repent. Sinner, receive forgiveness through the life death and resurrection of jesus christ and then in the joy of that forgiveness we come to communion here next a physical representation of the forgiveness offered to you through jesus christ confessing i'm a third commandment breaker but i look to christ i receive the forgiveness found in him and the joy of receiving that forgiveness then go out and let these commands lay out a map for how to live life colossians 1 
For in him all the fullness in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gospel, and I pray that as, as we endeavor to just not take the hard edges off of the law and pretend like everything's hunky-dory and okay, God, but to confess, God, there's no way, God, I, I keep up with what your standard is. There's no way, God, that I perform the righteousness you require, but my Savior lived and died for me. And God, may that be the joy in our hearts this morning as we come to communion and receive the forgiveness found only in our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.